Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican Communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. Why the jazz intro today? We'll get to that. But first, I believe it was the Book of Acts. You guys help me out. Was it the Book of Acts where there's this amazing moment of gospel opportunity? There's this transformative crossroads. And two people come across a field and one of them turns to the other and says, look, here is a patch of flat dirt. What should then prevent us from building a pickleball court? Okay, so maybe we do not have this precise example in scripture, but any of us who have been in Christian leadership for any length of time, if we have our eyes open to surprise, we will experience God doing lots of things with the world we're in and inviting us to participate, often in unpredictable ways, sometimes in fun ways. In fact, a lot of times in fun ways. And when we follow, the Lord only knows what he will do. How do you know if God is opening a door? How do you know if your community is being called to grow into a new ministry or an identity? How can you tell when your own vocation might be taking a turn into new territory? Today, and here's where we get to the jazz, we will enjoy a case study in John Coltrane and Evening Prayer, pickleball courts, and an Anglo-Catholic parish on the Pacific coast, pastored by someone who never wanted to be a priest in the first place, but he's since gotten used to the idea. The Reverend Doran Stambaugh is rector at St. Michael's by the Sea in Carlsbad, California, where he began as curate in 2005 and where he was ordained to the priesthood. Nice, long history there. He is also a talented musician. He's learned what pickleball is, though I am still not sure if he can play well. We weren't really clear about that. And he has a robust and ever-growing zeal for jazz and the liturgical life of the church. I really enjoyed talking with him about the slow game of ministry in a community, embeddedness, building trust, and opening up God's sometimes subtle invitation to our neighbors and to our common good. 
Finally, he mentions a book today by William Edgar called A Supreme Love, The Music of Jazz and the Hope of the Gospel. You can find a link to that in the show notes today. Now, change out that clarinet read, stretch out those hamstrings, and grab your prayer book. We are headed into a beautiful story of creative ministry. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Cheers. We both got our mugs here. So your mug says for me to ask you about your dad jokes. So oh. you ha- do you have one for us? <laughs> not really, no. I, I you think can't my- have a mug like that if you're not ready to produce a dad joke at the drop of a hat. It's true. I know. Well, it's it shouldn't have been gifted to me. I feel like not being a good joke teller, though, is sort of part of the dad joke repertoire fair <laughs> maybe not repertoire maybe it's the je ne sais quoi of the dad that, joke that's it's a great a point d- i'm grateful for the work you do gosh you must be busy it's i appreciate that and it always helps me to have these conversations because I, it reminds me you know we're a re- we're a remote staff we all live in mm-hmm. different towns mm-hmm. and often, maybe that's like this as a pastor too, is that when you're doing a lot of things or maybe you're, you've got your head into a building campaign or something, it's easy to forget that what you're doing is actually hitting the ground and it's touching people, it's helping people, it's making, you know, making a difference. Maybe not as much. I mean, you're like at people's bedsides while they, you know, while they're going to meet the Lord or, you know, you're ushering in them into the presence of the angels. So maybe it's different for well, you. I don't know. No, it's not at all different for me. In fact, one of my secret pleasures is vacuuming. And I, it, it <laughs> is vacuuming because there's a sense of accomplishment. Because I think that in parish ministry, it's very easy to go like, yeah, is, this, is, this, is this doing anything? But when you vacuum, you know, the oh, carpet's boy. dirty, you get those nice oh, yes. clean lines, it's done. And you feel like, all oh, right, I did something. So, do you sometimes intentionally crumble up goldfish in your carpet just to watch them go away? Well, at this stage in our family life, it's unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, no, there are plenty, plenty to work with. Well, Doran, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. I just wanted to have you on for a little a coffee hour to get a feel for what you're doing and and what your parish is doing in the community, you you guys have such a unique stamp. Just going to your website, and I'll say more about that later, I realized so many things about you almost immediately on your website. And so I have so many questions for you. But first, I would like to know what your journey into the ministry was briefly. How did you get there? And then I'll, I'll ask you more about St. Michael's as a parish and then we'll get into what you guys are up to. How did you get started? How did God drive you into this? Well, I was raised in a Christian home. I'm from Wheaton, Illinois. And I went to Wheaton College. My dad worked at Wheaton College for his 30-year career. He was the director of the Billy Graham Center Museum. And so I am a Wheaton boy through and through, and married to a Wheaton girl through and through. I was Protestant, so to speak. She was Catholic. We're Anglicans now. We hedged our bets. And I had a professor gently point me toward Jesus at a certain point in my life. And I realized that I was I was pretty well off the mark. And mm. so that kind word 
put me back on the path. I was a, an aspiring musician. It's just a kind of a classic, I think, young adolescent male. It's a, that that potent combination of thinking you know everything and at the same time you're really ignorant. I mean, I, I, I had a lot of cynicism because of things I experienced in the church. So on the one hand, it's sort of, I think, fairly typical of that age. But I mean, I, I had it like I was on steroids. So it, it's it's embarrassing. And I, mm. I wrote a paper talking about spirituality mm. and everything I thought it was and this long missive. And my professor gently pointed out, Dr. Scott, Julia Scott, mm. uh, he just gently pointed out that never once did I mention the name of Jesus in everything that I wrote. You know, and that, that was it. And I thought, oh, man. So that kind of sat me down. And I think that thing that most people have to do transitioning from the thing that we were raised in and then sorting out whether or not that's something that we want to accept as our own or not. Mm-hmm. And I was fairly diligent in that work at that, at that stage. And that's when I began to realize that there's a whole lot more to the Christian faith than maybe I had been exposed to or, or cared to pay attention to. I was playing in bands. And so some of that was praise bands that, that wasn't helpful for me personally. And so I drifted away from the Episcopal church. And then when my wife and I got married, she being raised Roman Catholic, we started to return to the Episcopal church of my boyhood. And that set me on the path toward discernment to ultimately priesthood. And and I'll also share a very embarrassing uh, story that, uh, I, I mean, I, I can pinpoint the point in time where the call hit me. I wasn't one of these who all my life I knew I was going to be a, a priest or pastor, none of that. And I was actively think, considering every profession that there is across the board, except for being a priest or being a pastor, because, you know, who does that? I hmm. literally thought as a kid that the priest just came out from behind the thing and went back there and they weren't really a person, you know. He must live back there. For real, as a kid, he just lives back there. Yeah, and wears funny robes. So we were in church, and I think it was a guest. I think it was a guest preacher. And I remember thinking, like, this sermon sucks. <laughs> and and I, I, it was just pure arrogance. I thought, man, I could do better than that guy. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and as soon as that arrogant thought hit my mind, I just, my blood went cold. And I didn't, you know, I didn't share it for several weeks and. The more I, I thought about it, I tried not to think about it, you know, started talking to people and off you go. I mean, it's a discernment with the community. I still had no vision of being a pastor or a priest. And it was while I, I went to Neshota House, while I was at Neshota House, that the call continued to develop to the diaconate and ultimately the priesthood. Have you heard of the Anglican Episcopal House of Studies? That is a house that I was part of when I was at Duke Divinity School, and the Anglican Episcopal House of Studies at Duke is now accepting applications for fall 2023. AEHS is a full Anglican seminary program within an ecumenical divinity school that forms Episcopal and Anglican students through study, prayer, and service in a way that is deeply engaged with scripture and the tradition and attuned to the missional opportunities and challenges of our day. If you'd like to learn more about AEHS, you can go to their website at sites.duke.edu forward slash AEHS 
or click the link in the show notes today. I think part of the reaction of fear and the resistance to hearing a calling from God is this thought that he's going to take everything away from me, or I'm going to have to become someone I'm not. Whereas we know technically that you actually become yourself more. You know, we know all these things, but still that gut reaction of fear is there. So my question for you is, as you were going through this process, what are the things that you found that you thought that you might have to lose by becoming a priest? And maybe you did have to lose a few things, but were there some things that you found returned to you or surprisingly used in your priesthood? Are you kidding me? You've done this before, haven't you? My <laughs> word. Yeah, yeah. You know how I've you talked know, to a few priests deal. in my day. Okay. <laughs> I know a few. You, I know a few. Evidently. I wish that the answer to that question was uh, something to do with my relationships. It was none of that. It was all about the band, man. <laughs> I'm going to have to break up the band. Oh. And, and, and that was, you know, at the time, that was my dream. That was my dream. Hmm. But so be it. I had to let go of that dream. And uh, that was the hardest part for me. And went, went off to Neshota House. What I found, the second part of it, which you're spot on, is that God, you know, gave me back, you know, music in my life in abundance in ways that I never, ever could have imagined. I learned this whole world of chanting and the, the liturgical music in the church. And it is so incredibly fulfilling for me in a way that the music I wrote and sang was not, not to disparage it. I'm I'm grateful for the music that I was able to write. It was a great joy to sing it. But I remember even when I was writing songs and playing them, having this desire that I wanted to, somehow I wanted it to affect change in people's lives, hmm. but that it wasn't, and I didn't feel like it was doing that. And now I get to sing by God's grace. I have the privilege to be able to lead people in worship. Mm. And, and then you get into all the ways in which I've been able to invite music into the community life of St. Michael. So That's really beautiful. And we will go there more a little later in the interview. Can you tell me a little bit about St. Michael's? Who is St. Michael's by the Sea? St. Michael's by the Sea is your your garden variety Anglo-Catholic church in the Episcopal Church. All right. We got some Anglo-Catholic up in here. All right. For sure. Yeah. And um, my call to St. Michael's was a blessing for me for a number of reasons, one of which was confirming my God's call in my life to be an Anglo-Catholic. Remember, I'm a Wheaton boy. Mm. And then when when I first went to Neshota House, I thought, what is this, a cult? What is this, Harry Potter? <laughs> but there was enough about it that was intriguing to me, and boy, am I glad I went there. And so, it, yes, it's a lot of the ritual in worship, and the ritual reflects the faith. And so it's the ritual in worship, and in particular, the understanding of the sacramental life as our salvation. I mean, as our interaction and experience and union with Christ in the sacramental life. So the richness I'm only beginning to plumb the depths of. So, but my call, I, there was one other church in play, which was decidedly not Anglo-Catholic. And that was the only game in town. And then when the opportunity 
to apply at St. Michael's came up and I traveled out there, it was the contrast of those churches God used to say, it's okay, this is where I want you, and it's okay, you can be an Anglo-Catholic, it's okay. Um, and so St. Michael's, one of the things that's unique about it is Carlsbad is a beach town, and St. Michael's, it is by the sea. I mean, when I first Googled it in February in Wisconsin, you know, on Google Maps, I mean, it is one block off of the Pacific Ocean and everything that comes with that in Southern California. So it's this incredibly beachy vibe, which I love, and this ritual worship, which I also love. And I think because of its location, we get a lot of people passing through. There's people on vacation or people just want to come to the beach or this is a cool location or I don't know why, but it used to bother me a little bit because sometimes it felt like people would be passing through. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, we have many, many parishioners, faithful parishioners, but there's also a lot of travelers. And I've realized that that's part of the DNA of this place is to be, it's a way station for pilgrims. And once I kind of realized that it was easier to embrace it and allow people to hang their hat there for a week or a month Hmm. or a year and then pass on if they need to. I think it's a place where I've, I've realized over the years, sometimes people who have been wounded from other church experiences, they just want to maybe worship or pray or heal. Now, when you started realizing, when you started paying attention to what your parish is and where your parish is and the limitations of that and those possibilities started opening up, Big question here, how does pickleball fit into that process? Because everyone who's listening needs to know, this is a huge talking point for us today, is pickleball, which is apparently like table tennis, but giant, like giant table tennis. And if you go to St. Michael's by the Sea, one of the first things that you will notice are pickleball courts. And in fact, this parish is known for its pickleball courts, like nationally known somehow. There's like a grapevine on which people tell other people that there are pickleball courts in Carlsbad, California at this church. So how do the pickleball courts fit into the process of your church realizing this particular vocation and saying, well, who are the actual people in our community? Who's actually coming? Like, we don't have to change that. Who's actually coming? We don't have to blame ourselves that we have these people and not this kind of people. You just embrace it. And so then pickleball courts show up. What what happened? Oh my gosh. Where where to begin? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just say this for people <laughs> listening. Like if, if you have a little bit of land, uh, you should build pickleball courts. So I'll, I'll tell you the story. Okay. It actually is a love story. I'll begin with this. So we made a concerted effort to try to open up the the church even more to the community and ask ourselves, you know, love your neighbor. Okay, who's our neighbor? Well, we started just across the street and across the street is a retirement home, Carlsbad by the sea. Hmm. And so we, we reached out to them and we partnered with them in a lot of different ways. We have an assisting priest who is they contract as a part-time chaplain. So it's really cool Hmm. connection. So we share space and share events. We've contracted with them for maintenance and housekeeping because that's a challenging for every parish. So here's the love story. There was a a couple that were dating. I mean, now they're in their 80s now. And uh, he lives at the retirement home and she lives inland a couple miles at another retirement community. And she's a frothing pickleball player. And he says, come on, come on and live with me. Come and move in with me. 
And she said, I'm not moving over there till they get pickleball courts. <laughs> and so that this what? set this guy on, <laughs> on the path. He, he goes to the director and says, we need pickleball courts. They reached out to the church and, and said, hey, could we use your parking lot to play pickleball? So they restriped our lot and put two courts there. And, and they played for two years. And I started to play with this retirement, these folks from the retirement home in their 80s who absolutely would destroy me. Okay. So wow. people think like, oh, pickleball, it's an old person sport. Well, it's the every person sport is what it is. Uh-huh. So, and this is back in 2014, I think. So we had a, we had an empty spot, a patch of dirt, which I started thinking, I don't even know what they look like. I've never seen professional pickleball courts, but I'm sure they exist. Wouldn't that be sick if we had courts? And I was saying that tongue in cheek a lot. And one guy in, in town goes, are you serious? And I was like, kind of. And he said, you should apply for a grant. Uh, there was a, a grant cycle for outdoor recreation and the Carlsbad Charitable Foundation. So I, I told the vestry, hey, do you guys mind if I apply for this grant for pickleball courts? And they're, oh, okay. So I applied for the grant. We got it. And then I went back to the vestry and I said, oh, we got all this money for these pickleball courts. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what's this about? You know, I don't know what this says about our vestry, but it was the only actual I like for things to be unanimous, you know, I like for everybody to get along. And it was the one like contested vote we've had in probably a decade. There were, there were some no vote. Finally, someone finally said, you just need to call the question. And I was like, oh, okay. And you we called the question on it, pickleball. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, it passed, but it wasn't unanimous. And of course hmm. now it's like, oh, wow. Thank God. This is great. Like, honestly, if I was on that vestry and the priest came in and he was like, oh, we're, look, we just got a bunch of money. You know, the first thing we should do with it, we should build some pickleball courts that I would, <laughs> I mean, obviously the money is designated for pickleball courts at that point, but um, I would have probably raised my hand, I admit. So, well, I mean, I because what was it that, that led you to believe that, that, that the Holy Spirit was possibly making a way for this to be part of your ministry to the community and not just sort of responding in a way that's like, you know, someone comes to you and says, oh, Father, we should do this. And you say, oh, okay, because the church always has to be, quote unquote, doing something in the community. Rather, it seems that this seemed to you to be an integrative part of your calling to be partners with that retirement home. You know, so how did you have to explain to the vestry, I think this is part of our calling, or was it more like, hey guys, why not? And if it doesn't seem to be something that's working, you know, we can always plant grass again. I mean, what was that like? Mm. Man, another good question. I would say it was both of those things in the sense that the money was a grant. What do you, what do you really have to lose? But I did have the feeling that this is something that was being placed in our laps. And so, you know, I didn't want to squander the gift. And there was a day I, I drove up, I drove up to church in the car and someone, somehow they connected with the local high school class. And I think they were supposed to be doing some like intergenerational something for, I don't know what the class was, anthropology, I don't know. And you had this class of high school kids and this dozen or so folks from the retirement community having a blast. And I was like, <laughs> it really, really, it, it did something to me. I was like, this is, this is different. 
And the thing about pickleball is it's, it's highly, well, first of all, it doesn't involve your phone. Thank God. Mm. It's highly relate relational and seriously intergenerational. It's like, and it's hard to find. That's I think part of what makes it unique. And so that intergenerational piece, especially I, I thought was cool. This is part of the pitch to the vestry. And the grant writers, I mean, they were the, the main concern was that this is a church. They're all about nonprofits, but what what are you doing here, guy? Mm-hmm. And and I was very clear. I mean, the only time the courts are closed, save for like a funeral or something, is Sunday morning. Because, you know, Sunday morning, that's our that's our core business. But is there there's no proselytizing, none of that. They're literally five feet from the north wall of the church, you know. So if anybody's interested in the church they they know where to go you know Mm -hmm. so this is it's only for the community so we've gotten a sense that following the trajectory of the identity of your parish then leads you to this open-minded partnership with a retirement community which leads you to a request which leads you to a grant which leads you to a pickleball court which leads to the community using this pickleball court? And then what are some of the fruits? Because you wrote me an email about this. And I mean, like paragraphs you wrote me about some of the things that have happened in your church life that are so vibrant and amazing that have come from these from these pickleball courts. I'd love to hear a few of these stories. I mean, once the courts got started, you know, we made a, I created an, an advisory board and so we have this monthly meeting and it's comprised of a couple people from the retirement community, a couple people from the parish, and then a couple people from just the community. They're just community pickleball players. And that in and of itself has created this beautiful little community. And somebody stepped up and said, I'd like to make a gift in honor of my one of my family members and, and build you a patio. And so now there's a beautiful patio to hang out on next to the pickleball courts. We've had fundraisers that the church has done for things like our veterans, local veterans association or NAMI, National Alliance for Mental Illness. These are things that they're nothing to do with religion, things that the church has already done. And we've actually talked to the pickleball community and said, hey, do you guys want to share in this event? This would be fun, right? And look, pickleball players love a good party. So We'll have these fundraising part joint, you know, fundraising events for a third party, which is really beautiful. And I mean, the pastoral stories is the thing that I could go on and on about with, you know, we've had, we've lost pickleball players and I've had the privilege of being able to do services for them. I've, I've done some counseling, some marriage counseling, met with families, prayed for people for healing. And it's funny because you know, I walk back and forth from the courts anytime I go to church or leave the church. And it's the, hi, Father, hi, Father, you know, and I, there's a sense of, and I don't even know, I don't know who I'm saying hi to, but there's a sense of, I mean, in my mind, that idea of a parish, yeah, which the etymology of the word parish means neighbor. It actually means near to the house. And this is an Anglo-Catholic principle too, those early Anglo-Catholic priests. I mean, those guys saw themselves as neighborhood priests, you know, Mm -hmm. that there was no defined really line about who's in or out. And that's certainly how I see myself as a priest. 
and the pickleball courts are this, you know, people that play pickleball are all, I mean, some of them are go to some other church and they're really involved. Others, you know, probably can't stand church and everything in between. And and we're all friends and, Mm -hmm. and uh, it, it, you know, the, the presence of the priests there in the community in a way that I'd like to think is not threatening, yeah. I think is really helpful. And, and I do play by the way, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, has your game gotten my, better? Yeah. Well, for the pickleball players listening, you know, that there's rankings one to five, one is a beginner, five is a pro. This group knows from the beginning that I'm a six and oh, pressing my way into, okay. into, into well. a seven. Now, but you have to keep in mind, it's kind of like aces are low and high. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm not great, but I love playing and everybody is very generous to me when I play, it seems. Well, no, that's not true. Some people actually destroy me. When you got to have some people be tough on you for sure. I mean, I think that's good for every person in (laughs) leadership. Someone's got to be tough on you. Keep (laughs) you, keep you humble. (laughs) (laughs) When you were describing walking through the pickleball courts and people are saying, hi, father, hi, father. My mind immediately goes to like 1940s Brooklyn and a Catholic mm-hmm. priest is walking through a neighborhood, you know, it's like an Italian neighborhood or an Irish neighborhood. And, you know, it's like, hello, father, hello, father. With the with the the priest and the church being a center point of the community, even for people who aren't particularly faithful. And that's this beautiful parish model, but what it's also doing is it's, I'm thinking of the, the, the yeast that's slowly this Jesus parable about the woman who needs the yeast into the dough until it works through the whole lump. And the way that when, when churches are working in a positive way where they are and, and really having a good relationship with the community— not that 1940s in Brooklyn, everything was perfect by any stretch. But nevertheless, it's a beautiful thing when a community can take for granted the good of the church, can say, oh, well, yeah, we know why churches are useful. We know why they have a particular thing to bring to the table. You know, it's sort of like we, there's an understanding that almost doesn't have to be explained because of the positive presence that can be described in non-religious terms by people who, you know, don't, are not interested in necessarily the spiritual significance, but that we know the hidden secret, which is that Mm. it's the presence of the Lord and it's his love and it's his mercy and it's his kindness and his love for human beings that's, that's working its way, you know, through the community. So both of those benefits were we're going through my mind. Yeah, it's funny. You know, in pickleball, there's always a side of the court that you start playing on. It's just like a thing. Every court has the like, who, whoever is on this side, like that's where that's where the first serve comes from. And it was the pickleball community that was like, well, you know, it's church side, right? It's church side starts, right? So <laughs> that that was their choice. And then, and oh, then you so get, cute. There's, there's, yeah, plenty of jokes of like, you know, somebody misses a shot and says a, you know, colorful word. And someone's like, can't say that here. It's the church, man. You know, there's like a lot of, a lot of funny Uh jokes about the the presence of the church there. And there's also, it really is funny because I think a lot of people, if they want to go to church, they've told me like, they, they try to dial up St. Michael's on Google maps or something and they get the courts, (laughs) don't get the church. I mean, they still get to the church, but 
Yeah, and enter his courts I, with praise. Have has this know, ever? You okay. need a sign. Okay, you need a sign. <laughs> okay, I gotta put that up. Thank you for that. Enter his courts with praise. Okay, thank you, Amber. For that. You're welcome. Bit of inspiration. Another thing that we've talked about, Doran, is the the intersections of evangelism and and catechesis, and I think that pickleball and then this other ministry you guys have, which is Jazz Evensong, really help us take a look at the connections. And, and you know, we won't tease out all the connections between catechesis and evangelism today. I mean, we've we've got 10 more minutes here, but but I just did want to point out that when we talk about evangelism is such a fraught word. We we know that we understand that. But it's also something that I think we can all agree in the Episcopal Church, you know, presiding Bishop Curry, big fan of evangelism, big fan mm-hmm. of sharing the gospel, encouraging people to do that, not being afraid of it, finding integrative, holistic ways to do that, ways that are good for our community, that are good for human being. Mm-hmm. And I see pickleball as this as this thing. It's It happens outside the church technically, but five feet away from the walls of the church. And it's a space where people enjoy going. They feel safe because it is a safe space, not because you're about to pull the rug out from under them or something and make them quote a Bible verse every time they you know, make a shot. But it also has the ability to draw people in who are interested. And because they feel safe, they can come in and sit in the presence of the Lord or pray or meet with a pastoral care team or say their confession or whatever it might be. But then tied to it is is the integrating people into community, people who are interested in staying, teaching them, catechizing them. I know you have a really successful track record of doing really slow. You have a catechumenate that's sort of a really slow process that's born a lot of fruit. And so when I think of formation and the way that evangelism then moves into formation, I think of your jazz even song as a thing that draws people in that's a, a good for the community but's also explicitly a prayer service and mm-hmm. is a service of worship can you can you tell us about your jazz even song so here's the music part here's where your musicianship's really going to come through and and amaze us today and then how that's you know how that's playing with people's formation yeah yeah, jazz even song. It's been in my head for years, and and I never really had the nerve to do it. I mean, it's not it's not a new thing, right? There there are churches that do it. I don't exactly know what they do because I'd never really experienced one. But in my own mind, I I had been thinking about what that might look like. Live music was there was no live music for for during COVID, but St. Michael's is blessed with this you know beautiful outdoor lawn. And the weather's nice. And so I contacted some uh, one guy I knew in town, a bass player, and asked if he could put together a band. And I didn't think too hard about it. I took evening prayer. And in between every, you know, the the opening sentence in Fosilaran, and there's a jazz tune. And then there's the psalm. And then there's a jazz tune. And like, I just literally interlaced it. And what with the band... I didn't tell them that they had to play sacred music or hymnody or any of that. I just, hey, you guys, mm-hmm. just 
call your own. Now there's no singing. It's all instrumental, but oh, you guys okay. just call, call your own tunes. And so they play, they play jazz standards. And for them, I've learned, you know, for, especially for jazz musicians, m- most musicians, it's like, you know, you got to sell beer, you got to pack the place, you got to, mm-hmm. or it's a wedding or whatever. You got to play this certain stuff. Like there's no parameters on what, what it is that they play. They love that. It's very freeing for them. And it was an opportunity to play when there wasn't a lot of opportunity. We've been going for two years now. And boy, the band, I have to say that the band that plays is, I mean, jazz, there's a lot we could say about jazz. These guys are at, are at the very top level of what jazz, of jazz musicians. So wow. a couple of them have toured with the Buddy Rich band back in the day. And I, I mean, I can, I could go through the list of their accomplishments, but and they're not Episcopalians necessarily. They're oh goodness, no, no. Although the horn player's <laughs> last name is Bishop, so yeah, yeah, that counts. I like to, for I like sure. to play on that, yeah. But the context for the musicians, I think, really works. It's a it's a spiritual context. It's a prayerful context that I think really works for them, and it's a it's an exercise in listening for everybody. They've started to allow me to. <laughs> I started chanting the settings and they're vamping in the background. And so it really is, I describe it as peanut butter and chocolate. I mean, they'll play a a tune and then I'll chant the psalm and they're improvising in the background. And so you have fifth century chant tone with some improvisational jazz and then they'll play another tune and I'll chant the reading. And so I'm trying to keep it almost entirely musical. There's very little that's actually spoken. I speak some mm-hmm. of the colleagues at the end. And it's it's become for community members, I've had people tell me, this is our church, or this is how we are starting our Sabbath. Or mm-hmm. just this last week, I met with one family interested in baptism and another couple that had a cancer diagnosis and wanted mm-hmm. to talk. <clears throat> so there's those pastoral connections from Evensong. And then here's the, the grand finale. The jazz guys started looking at the pickleball courts, you know, after, oh, oh boy, <laughs> after, after they were done playing and they looked for a few months and then they, then they started playing and now they're showing up before the set and playing pickleball and doing jazz even song and then playing till the sun goes down. So it started out as they, you know, came to do the jazz and then played a little pickleball. Now they, I think they're coming to play pickleball and do a little bit of jazz and, mm-hmm. and the courts as well. I, I experimented with this. There was a, in the, initially I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to close the courts for this thing. And then this year I thought, no, let's leave them open. And uh, it's out on the lawn. Sometimes people bring a picnic kids on the playground and I, let's just leave the courts open. And I, the pickleball players were saying, no, we should, we should stop for your service. You know, I was oh. like, nah, no, why don't you just play? And so they do. And uh, it's just become this really beautiful thing. I probably have some of my Anglo-Catholic brethren who would, I, I don't know what they would think about. I mean, I, I vest, you know, and that was the thing in COVID. I, I would I would stand up there fully vested and, and say, you know, if anybody asks, this is church, let them know, you know, and, and it is, it's an evening prayer service, but it's about 10 minutes of me and an hour and 20 minutes of, of incredible jazz. I mean, and if anyone is listening to this thinking, 
we got a jazz band behind you. They're not worship leaders in this moment of worship. You know, I don't want to be closed-minded or anything, but I mean, if these guys aren't entering it as an act of worship, doesn't that intentionality make a difference? And I would, and that's a good question. I would also suggest that not every person in your choir or every organ player that you've ever had at your organ, every church musician, you know, what you want is an excellent musician. And then very often, you know, to say, is this person a profound believer in Jesus Christ? That's not always your first question when you're hard up for a really good musician who can do an excellent job. So I just think that a lot of, you know, let's, let's just be consistent here. Yeah, that's, I appreciate that, both that, that thinking and also that the response to that, I think that's fair. And I, you know, I have the, the keyboard player puts together the, the set and distributes it to the band. And he's always texting me like, what's the psalm this week? You know, and I finally have showed him the prayer book. And now he's like, is this it? Like he's learning the lectionary and learning his way around formatting his service. And it's really, really cool. There's something else that's, that really needs to be said about, about jazz and the importance of jazz. Because just like pickleball, the, the pickleball courts, they have value in and of themselves, full mm-hmm. stop. Mm-hmm. And the connection with the church is is beautiful, and I would say the same thing about jazz. Jazz is a uniquely American art form that comes out of a, a very dark part of our history, and it needs to be, I think, amplified and celebrated. The importance of jazz in the context of the United States, and also in the context of the church. and And on that note, I don't know if this is on your radar or not. There's a book that came out by William Edgar. He's a professor at Westminster, and he's a jazzer. He was a jazzer first, and then he became a Christian. He wrote this book called A Supreme Love, Ah, the music of jazz and the hope of the gospel. And he's making the case. He goes into the roots and history of jazz and also as it relates to the gospel. And the whole thing is about how both jazz, its history, and its, its form and Christianity have this movement from deep misery to inextinguishable joy. That's the, the kind of the, the case that he's making. And I'm still processing the book, hmm. but my mind is very much in, in, that, in this world as well of thinking about the synthesis and the integration of jazz as an art form as it relates to the Christian faith. So jazz, it's not just like a random thing, like hmm. amplifying the importance of this art form is is very much part of the intention of jazz even song. So I wanted to say that part. And then on the other side of that coin, and by the way, I've been thinking the whole time we've been talking about jazz, I've been thinking I've I have a beautiful LP of John Coltrane's A Love Supreme that I got for my yeah. 35th birthday. And just what can, what can you not say about <laughs> A Love Supreme? But in the liner notes, it's this is this pan of praise. Yeah, it's a pr- it's a prayer and praise to God for the gift of jazz for this album. It's in- it's incredible. So everybody look up the liner notes in A Love Supreme and read them. It's very moving. John Coltrane himself was a was a pastor's kid. So it's a very if I'm not mistaken, so it's a very um very moving homage to the Lord on the back of this incredible work of genius. My final question for you about this is, on the other side of this, what does jazz and jazz in the context of Evensong, what does it say to people about God? 
I mean, there there is an incredible beauty to it. We could say this of all music. Uh, I think it's especially true of jazz. There's a there's a particular, I'll say, beauty to it, which in, as as Anglicans especially we recognize beauty as divine. Right. So there's a there's a beauty to the music. There's also, I mentioned the conversational quality. It, it, jazz is relational. Mm-hmm. And listening to the musicians have the conversations with one another in their music. I mean, our faith is relational. Our God is relational. So there, there's a, there's the, it's Trinitarian. I mean, it's unitive in the sense that you have the band, the musicians, and they're individual persons, which create something that is, well, in this in this case, much greater than the sum of its parts. And again, you could say this for a lot of music in general, but there's something in particular about jazz. There's a because there is a form, and the form is important. But the form is the thing that creates the freedom and the ability to communicate w- within the music in in a very unique way. I mean. So there is a structure, yes, but it's incredibly free at the same time, and I want to say unstructured. And you could bring, you could play the same tune every every night, and it would always sound different. So there's also the ability not just to communicate with one another, but the ability to express emotion and feeling in 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 a way that's point in time for people. I I, I can't say enough about about jazz though the more that i the more that i learn about it there really is nothing like it and i have to say beware beware because it will ruin you from a lot of <laughs> other other different music the more that you listen to jazz i hear yeah. so much longing in jazz as well good jazz has so much longing in it and lack of resolution the lack of resolution itself says something the re- the repeated phrases that are said over and over again in different ways, or even if in the same way, ways that intensify, never, ever fail to have some kind of moment where I'm, I don't even know how to put it. I'm trying to think of all these things that sound very cheesy. Being brought into those realities are, are really beautiful. There's, there's had too much caffeine. Maybe so. Yeah. There, there's. A, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly making analogies and references. Now, I'm finding in the, in the catechumenate related to jazz and at jazz even song related to the faith. That things like the band has started to key into different musicians' birthdays and create themes around their set. So today is today is the birthday of Thelonious Monk. Oh, di- oh, uh, interesting. And, and so la- last night the set was all monk tunes. And so we do kind of a deep dive on him as a person and the kind of songs that he wrote. And, and so, and that's not unlike the church calendar. That's what mm-hmm. I was saying last night. Yeah, like it's Saints like, Days. Our mm-hmm. feast days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you also have the apostolic succession link. And you have, um, I mean, I've, I've drawn a line from every single band member that plays at Evensong back to Charlie Parker because he's my my favorite and all those guys are only one link away they played with guys who had played with charlie parker so not unlike 
you know, apostolic. That was my example just of apostolic succession. Just say in the it. I was like, here it comes. If I'm going to talk about having a God moment while watching a jazz concert, you're going to say apostolic succession. Oh you boy, we're just we're just embarrassing ourselves left and right on this podcast. That's what we do on the Living Church Podcast. Try to have one embarrassing moment per episode. No shortage for me. I'm trying to bring it back around here to what we were initially talking about, which is the presence of a parish in a particular community, looking around saying, where am I? What is God already doing? What are the opportunities that come to me? And then allowing those to bear fruit. It's It becomes so unexpected. There's a lot of routine in parish work and in leadership in the church. There's a lot of banality. There's a lot that doesn't work out. There's a lot of times when the vestry tells you no, and sometimes for very good reasons. But listening to God is such an adventure. It's such jazz, man. Listening, <laughs> That's it. Listening. <laughs> I see how we're riffing here. Um, That's it. Yeah, but like listening to God is this real adventure that doesn't take you out of context or make you somebody that you're not. It 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 amplifies your uniqueness and your personality and gives God glory. And so I'm grateful for what you guys are doing at St. Michael's by the Sea and blessings on what you're doing. I'm, I'm sure this conversation will be inspiring to somebody today. I pray it is. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share. I'm really grateful for this. Thank you. Yeah. I, so I've been talking today with the Reverend Doran Stambaugh, and I am grateful to have you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Amber. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. We'll see you back here February 9th for a conversation about African-American Anglicanism, a deep dive you do not want to miss. The intro and outro music we have enjoyed today is from one of the evening prayer services at St. Michael's by the Sea, Carlsbad. The musicians are Gunnar Biggs, Keith Bishop, Joey Carano, Bob Weller, and Leonard Thompson. The producer of this episode and all our current episodes is Leslie Thompson. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been good to be with you. Peace.